how are y'all doing this morning? It's great seeing you. If you will, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This is a great time of year, and uh, we are really, I, I do, I want to, along with Eric, thank you uh, ladies uh, for all the work you did uh, making our, our auditorium so festive. They did it with elegance. You notice that? That's, that, that's just, just so so encouraging, so beautiful as we celebrate this this season. Um, last week I started a bit of a series on money. Yeah, I know, the preachers just love to talk about money. And last week we talked a little bit about that money stuff and, and we figured out that, that God owns everything and, and um, he's just given us, us money and um, time and, and talents to, to manage. And uh, I want to continue on today because this time of year, I don't know about you, we have a tendency to overspend. I love to give gifts. Um, Cynthia went yesterday to see our, our grandson, and, and uh, I guess she spent a little bit of time with Zach and Katie, but she really just went to see Ezra. And uh, that kid is going to get everything. I think everybody just wants to give stuff to him because he's just that cute of a kid. Um, I did notice her. there was a picture that, uh, that Gretchen posted where Ezra was going down the aisle at the church with a broom. Yeah, he's not even two years old, and he already knows that, that pastor's kids need to clean the church. Every one of my kids had their, <laughs> their time cleaning this church. Uh, I think uh, Laurel had the roughest time because that was during the uh, uh, aftermath of Charlie, and you should have seen her trying to vacuum the blue tarps that were our carpet that time was fun but uh you know i I love to give my wife stuff i I bought her stuff back from israel that was meant for christmas but i gave it to her then and um i bought her she is she in here great i bought her a fireplace and uh she says that's her christmas present and we'll see but uh we have so much stuff, and we're buying so much stuff, and, and, and we're encouraged to buy such stuff. And so this morning, I want to talk to you out of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and uh, let me read a few verses, and the title of this message is, You Can't Take It With You. Uh, do you have that picture? Would it, I don't know. If, yeah. Who says you can't take it with you? Boy, that's a terrible picture that I, it was my fault. He didn't copy that picture. I did. I may look better from, uh, the one in the back looks better than the one in the front. Did you get the idea? All right, here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting in verse 8. If thou seest the oppression of the poor, and violent perverting, uh, uh, perverting of judgment and justice in the province, marvel not after the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. Moreover, the prophet of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth the abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increased, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof saying the beholding of them with their eyes. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, 
but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof and to their hurt. But those riches perisheth by evil travail, and he begotteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go, and what profit hath he that labor for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor, that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor, this is all the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life, because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. You know, there's a, uh, a disease, a new disease out there. It's really prominent in the United States and in Western Europe. It's called affluenza. Have you ever heard of it? I'm serious. Did you not? A few years ago, somebody went to court and said he was suffering from affluenza and why he treated people bad. And Okay. It can be defined as this, the bloated, sluggish, unfulfilled feeling that results from efforts to keep up with the Joneses. It's an epidemic of stress, overwork, waste, and indebtedness caused, uh, caused by the dogged pursuit of the American dream. Affluenza is a term used to explain the problems that occur when individuals are in pursuit of money, wealth, and material possessions at the expense of other sources of self-esteem and contentment. In other words, the more you get, the more you want, and you just keep going and keep going, and it's making you sick. Here's some things. Think about this. These are some of the symptoms of affluenza. An inability to delay gratification or tolerant frustration. I, you, here's what that means. We got to have it now. We got. I watch people go and buy stuff called Instant Mac. It's macaroni and cheese that you pour water in and stick it in a microwave. I've never. I don't even want to think about trying that. I thought, well. You mean, what do you mean you can't boil a little bit of water and uh, um, put that cheese sauce in and with some butter and a little bit of milk? I mean, that's too much work. I know if you have some homemade cheese sauce, it's, it's, we've got to have it now. I can't wait 10 minutes to make my macaroni and cheese. I want it in two. Instant gratification. I, tell, I used to tell people, I don't get to do this anymore. Everybody took my job. I love to mow. Because I have instant gratification. I can see I accomplished something. But see, we live in a world where we want it now. Right now. Oh, another symptom is the difficulty maintaining interest in anything requiring effort. Mm. 
Are you seeing this might have a trend for some of our younger folks? What do you mean? i got to work hard for that? Well, yeah, that's how you get it. Well, I don't know if I want it now. One of the things uh, we were talking about the Genesis Center, I want you to, to think about this. We have to instill in young people etiquette, manners, and values. And that's one of the things that hasn't happened. Uh, one of the things that impressed me six years ago or so when I first was introduced to the Genesis Center, I went through and, and Ken was taking me through their facilities and we walked into a classroom. All the children stood up when an adult entered the room. I didn't even teach my kids to do that. I thought I was doing pretty good. Old school manners. I want you to think a little bit. If we instill those type of qualities in younger children, won't the next generation and the generation after that, and we want to fix our community, if we are reaching children and instilling the right values and a work ethic and all, don't you think that you'll see our community transform? Hmm. Affluenza. An expectation of material goods without responsibility. Yeah, I was so blessed. My kids were so blessed. I don't know about you, I had to work for a car. First of all, I worked for a motorcycle. Pumped gas, worked at a gas station. And then I got a job later as a um, salesman in a sporting goods store. And uh, saved up my money and I bought my first car, uh, 1967 Mustang. Yeah, it was a great car. Now, in 1974, a 67 Mustang wasn't such a big deal. They were everywhere. But it was a great car. Uh, Hang-on air that didn't work half the time, but six-cylinder because my dad didn't want me to have anything fast because he knew I'd kill myself. But I had to work for that. My kids were so blessed. Every one of them had a car given to them. And your, your husband did that. The two of them. They've expected nice cars ever since. But we have a tendency today that, that we just expect all this stuff and we don't want the responsibility for it. There's a loss of future motivation. It's everything's now. Life activities don't seem very real and, and nothing really matters much. There's a lot of low self-esteem, a lot of low self-worth, a loss of self-confidence. I know for older folks, and even for me, because we really had a work ethic instilled in us, which allows us to have a little more confidence. We don't feel so bad about ourselves. But young people who don't have that work ethic put in, they never. that's why they're so messed up. They're, they're emotionally messed up. They're, they're, they don't think of themselves very highly because what they never have to accomplish much of anything. You know, the old, I get a trophy for participating. Approval dependent on possessions and status rather than personal values. I was thinking today, I just reached in my pocket and realized I left my phone at home. I got an iPhone 7, okay? Some of you who are picked up on iPhones, that's, that's all I can handle is a 7, but they got an 8, and they got a new one out, cost $1,000, called the X or the 10. You know what really makes people happy? I'm going to go get me a new iPhone 10. That's the best of the best. I can't even work everything I have. But if I had, you know what, if I show off my, my fancy uh, phone, that's a status symbol. Used to be cars. Kids today don't, don't, 
don't understand. They don't want to drive. They wait so long to get a driver's license. I can't believe it. But the more nice stuff you have, the more you feel good, supposedly. Preoccupation with externals and habitation for more material goods. Difficulty believing people like them for themselves rather than the possessions and status. We see that within the sports world quite often as these guys making millions of dollars, they have lots of friends and everybody's all around and when they retire and they're not making all those money, everybody disappears and they are in a mess. Inability to trust prevents true friendships. Emotional energy becomes invested in material gains and sensitivity toward others decline. It's all about taking care of me and getting my stuff and I don't care about anybody else. All those are symptoms of affluenza. And, and listen, as Americans, these, some of these figures are a little bit old. I think it's gotten a little bit worse. We carry a trillion dollars in personal debt. That's about 4000 for every man, woman, and child in this country. And that's not including real estate and mortgages. An average American only saves 4% of their income, whereas a, a, an average Japanese person will save 16%. Americans alone have used more resources since 1950 than everyone who ever lived before them. Look at this. Each American individual uses up to 20 tons of basic raw materials annually. Americans throw away 7 million cars a year. Government's helped with that. We used to be able to recycle those things. I love that you pull up places. Anyway, 2 million plastic bottles an hour and enough aluminum cans annually to make 6,000 DC-10 airplanes. We, we, we use up a lot of stuff, don't we? <laughs> Americans on average spend only 40 minutes a week playing with their children. And members of working couples talk with one another an average of 12 minutes a day. I heard there she is. We got to start working on that. I think we're even getting to that point. We're getting too good with our electronics. We'll just text across the room instead of talk. Here, the fact is that we have a distorted view of money. We believe that money is what will bring significance and security. Yet with all this affluence, everything that we have going on, our, our, our world, we make really poor choices with how we handle money. I started last week with, with, with the principles of basic stewardship, but today I, I just I want to try to help you get a view of money. And where the best place to go? Well, Solomon. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. Those words we just read that some of them were kind of hard to follow. Solomon's the richest man ever. He had more money than we can even imagine. In fact, when the Queen of Sheba went to see him and to meet him, she said this about Solomon. She'd heard all about him. She says, the half has not been told. He brought in over $20 million a year in just gold. So today, as we look through some of the things that Solomon has, has written down for us, we need to evaluate 
the reality of wealth. There's a guy named Seneca. He was a Roman philosopher. He said this, money has never made anyone rich. And the Japanese, they have a lot of proverbs. They had this one. Getting money is like digging with a needle. Spending it is like water soaking into the sand. See, we're never going to find satisfaction and significance on this earth. We're never going to fulfill the deepest desires within us. Those are the desires for heaven, and those are the desires for, for, for uh significance and satisfaction and love, none of that will ever work through riches. So as we go today, I want you to understand, we have to evaluate the reality of wealth. And how do we do that? Or why do we do that? Here, here we go. Here's some facts about money. Money never satisfies. Some of you are thinking, if I had some, it might. Listen, Ecclesiastes 5.10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. The thing we need to remember is that when you evaluate wealth, that it doesn't matter how much you have, you're always going to want more. Have you found that out? Wanting more, or the Bible word for that is covetousness, or the modern word that we do every day is greed. It's a disease that affects and infects the rich and poor alike. We always just want a little bit more than we have. We think that if we have more money, then we'll have more happiness. I think the Beatles sang a little bit about that, right? Can't buy me love. Larry knows that one. So y'all know that. I was just a little kid when they came to the country. I, I remember watching the whole Ed Sullivan show and and wanting to get a beetle wig, and my dad said, you're never going to have long hair like that. When I was a teenager, I showed him. <clears throat> okay. Uh, fact is, we're never going to be satisfied by money or things. And the desire shows up almost immediately. How many of y'all have ever worked in the nursery? Okay. Some of y'all need to go back and start helping in the nursery. Just a little plug there. We don't, <laughs> we're going to need that soon. But have you noticed little kids when they're playing on the floor and one kid has some toys and what does he want? He wants all the other toys and he keeps taking them away from somebody else because there's never enough toys. Even if he's not playing with it, he doesn't want anybody else playing with it. See, that's the desire that's born into us. That's part of the fall. That's part of the, the sin nature that we inherited from, from Adam. And, and it's never going to satisfy. The more we get, it's just not going to satisfy. Luke 12, 15 says this. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. A long time ago, there was a Dennis the Menace cartoon. I don't, I don't get the paper anymore, and, and so I don't get to watch, read the funnies as much. But this was a good one. This is back in the days when we had catalogs. You guys remember those days? I, used, I remember I could not wait for the Christmas catalog, Sears Christmas catalog when I was a kid because just like Dennis the Menace in this thing, as I was going through that catalog, as I was looking at all that stuff, I said, this catalog's got a lot of toys I didn't even know I wanted. I 
Kids today don't need a catalog. They got an iPad and they go online and they find all sorts of goodies. But see, it's just, it's just, it never satisfied. And here's the second point. Money rarely simplifies. Look, verse 11 and 12 back in Ecclesiastes 5. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Look, we have this, this theory that the more money that we have, the less problems we have. Well, we tend to think that we can solve our problems by throwing money at it. That's not working real well with our government, is it? Solomon discusses this principle, and he mentions two truths that plague people who don't understand the reality of their wealth. First, the more you have, the more you spend. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. Verse 11. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? <laughs> the more money you have, the more problems that money attracts. And the, the, the more money that you have, the more people you attract to consume your money. You got it, don't you? You know, everybody's always after a dollar. If they think you have two, they want one of them. Yeah, it doesn't. Whew. I was in Bible college. I sold cars. And one of the perks of selling cars at the lot I was working at is you got um, to drive a demo. So every day I'd drive to school in a new car, different car. I'd drive in one day with a Corvette and then one day with a Jeep, I, I, all sorts of stuff. All of a sudden, all the students thought I had a lot of money. I had people, I, I worked I work at three jobs. I'd get there at, at 6 in the morning and do security from 6 to 8 and keep all the people away from bad things that happened in the neighborhood where the school was at the time, back on McDuff. Um, They'd come out to the little guard shack, and I'm trying to study, stay awake, and keep the, 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 the rotten people away, and they're all coming wanting to borrow some money. Can you help me with my school bill? I said, no, but can you help me with mine? I'm working three jobs. It just looked like I was rich because I, I drove cars, and everybody wanted my money that I didn't have. But that's going to, you'll find that. It, 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 when you, <laughs> listen. The more money you have, the more people start lining up for their piece of the action. Bankers, investors, accountants, lawyers, everybody wants their share. When a man's possessions increase, it seems that there is a corresponding increase in the number of parasites that live off him. Management consultants, tax advisors, accountants, lawyers, household employees, and sponging relatives. I didn't make that up. That came from David Jeremiah. But isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? It doesn't, the more you have, the more you spend. Second, the more you have, the more you worry about it. Verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Listen, the working man gets a good night's sleep. 
but the rich man spends the night awake worrying about his money. The guy that just works for a living, punches the clock, comes off, he can go home, he doesn't have to worry about a thing anymore. I did my job today, I'm going to go home, I can sleep well. He just may worry about you know, football or he can worry about other things. The rich man's got to worry about how am I going to keep making that money so I can keep have that guy employed and the responsibility just keeps going and going and the worries come more and more. The more money you have, the more worries you have. The number one cause of, of divorce in America are usually money disagreements. Okay, it's, it's crazy. Here's some illustrations about this. You ever keep up with people that win the lotto? We've got a long history now. People win the lotto, and winning the, the lottery has ruined their lives. And we should have known that even going back, back in uh, 1996, there was an article in the Chicago Tribune. And this guy, um, Buddy Post, uh, he won $16.2 million in the Pennsylvania lottery in 1988. A lot of money. Since he won that money, he was convicted of assault. His sixth wife left him. His brother was convicted of trying to kill him. His landlady successfully sued him for one-third of the jackpot. Post says this, money didn't change me. At that time, he was 58 years old, a, a former carnival worker and cook. What he says, it changed the people around me that I knew. And I thought, cared a little bit about me, but they only cared about money. Post went on trying to auction off 17 future payments valued at about $5 million in order to pay off taxes, legal fees, and a number of failed business ventures. He plans to spend his life as an ex-winner pursuing lawsuits. He has filed against police, judges, lawyers, who he says conspired to take his money. He goes, his last quote, I'm just going to stay at home and mind my P's and Q's, he said. Money draws flies. The more money you have, the more you worry. Second point, major point I want you to see here, money always perishes. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begotteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. You ever realize how quick money can, can evaporate? I, I try not to carry cash, because when I carry cash, unless they're ones, they kind of float out fast too. But if I have a 20, I know that as soon as I break that 20, the rest of it's gone. I don't know where it goes, but it's gone. So I don't carry cash most of the time. Don't ever hit me up for, hey, can I got $5? No, I don't have it. I don't have cash. I do everything with a card, which aggravates my wife a lot too because she keeps the books. But listen, it just, it just disappears. Solomon recognized that that was a problem, and he shed some light on how money can, can really be fickle and, and disappear. It, the first thing is, is, verse 13 and 14 is, money kept is money lost. When you accumulate things, all you can do is lose them. And that pain of missing something that you, you possess and, and treasure is not always worth the price of owning it. I'm thinking, as I was reading this, 
somewhere at our house, I've got some old silver dollars. I've got some old coins, stuff I've had since I was a kid. I have no idea where they are. She knows. I know she knows. She's hiding them from me, I'm sure, because so, I might be tempted to go cash them in or something. But it's just all going to disappear. I've come to the conclusion that, 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 that we just lose things and they're gone. I know sorting through stuff. We're getting some more of our stuff back from, from my son that's been stored at his house. And, and uh, the other day I was telling you, I went through the tools. I'm missing all sorts of sockets. I don't know where they are. I got to go replace those things. I don't know if it's his fault or it's my fault or not, but I know I've got six sockets I got to replace. They're just gone. They're lost. You have money. You have things that are just like that. They're lost and you can't ever find them. We spend more time trying to hold on to things that we think matter than we do putting time and energy into that which lasts forever and has real value. Folks, one of the, the, the reasons that we're talking about the Genesis Center, you all know we've been talking about this for a long time. I first came in contact with these people six years ago, and God has laid a burden on my heart. I watch and see the, the product of this ministry and what it does to transform a community. And I think of the millions and millions of dollars Christians have spent on the political process to try to affect our country in a positive way, and we've flushed that money down the toilet. Our, it just hasn't worked. We've invested millions in politicians who don't carry out the cause. We took a small portion of that and invested it in changing people's, young people's lives. We would have seen the desired results. It's interesting, one of the things that we would teach is a curriculum from NASA. You know, NASA's looking ahead. In a few years, they're wanting to, to do manned flights to uh, um, Mars. Where do you think they're going to get their astronauts? They've already figured out the astronauts they're looking for in middle school. So if we have some middle school kids, and they have a curriculum. You start teaching them. that they're, they're, they're looking for our people to produce their next astronauts. You see, we keep our money or we get it's just money lost we need to invest in wise things second money does not leave this world you saw remember the picture it doesn't go with you you can't take it with you i know i've seen pictures of people being buried in their cars and stuff but didn't do much good i just wanted to know where that was so i could go dig it up it doesn't matter how much you have you can't take it with you when you die Job said this. He learned a great lesson. He lost everything he had. Even his children he lost. He said this. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return to her. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If that does not put us into perspective, then what will? There's a very wise guy from Kentucky. Wise man. He, he's passed. But he said this. He was a colonel. Colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders said this. There is no reason to be the wealthiest man in the cemetery. The pursuit of money and, and wealth for your own pleasure is nothing more than vanity and the vexation of spirit. 
Proverbs 23, 5. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Remember, your money is perishing and evaporating. It's your soul that's going to live forever. All right, let me kind of get this thing concluded here. Maybe wondering, what's the point of this sermon? What is, what are you, why, why do you want me to, to evaluate wealth? What are, you, what, what are you talking about here? I want you to come to a realization that the ability to earn money, to enjoy money, are gifts from God. God has given us the power to get wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18 says this, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto his fathers, as it is this day. We are wealthy people. You realize that if you own a house, you are in the wealthiest 3% of the world? If you own a car, you're in the top 6% of wealthy people in the world. We should be incredibly thankful. God has given us an incredible ability to enjoy wealth in this country. We are so blessed. But we're not going to enjoy that wealth until we evaluate it properly and keep it in its perspective. I read about a, a, a man. He was a millionaire, a Christian millionaire. And he was describing a turning point in his life. He was, and he said that it was an unbeliever that really helped him. As he was planning his life, the, the unsafe friend said to him, I hear two things coming from out of your mouth. This friend took a piece of paper and he drew a box on it representing the man's life. He also made a picture of a cross and a picture of a dollar sign. And he noted those were the two things that were vying for that man's attention. And he told that man, you cannot get to where you are going in life until you decide which of those two things you want to be the center of your life. The dollar or the cross. When it comes to issues of greed, you have to make some life choices. These principles come from Solomon's teaching about life. Life from the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want you to remember this as you think about the role of wealth and money in your life. First, I want you to remember that nothing physical touches the soul and nothing external satisfies our deepest inner needs. You are never, ever going to find significance and satisfaction in that stuff that you possess or those things that are material in nature. And second, if happiness is not found in the kingdom of money, only in the kingdom of God, maybe it's time to change kingdoms. The Lord taught us that it was hard for the rich to be saved, but not impossible. Just difficult, because we have a tendency to allow what we have to become an obstacle in our relationship with Christ. Years ago, when I first came here, after the first year, there was not enough money for me to stay full-time uh, on staff. And I got a job as a night auditor at Day's End, and then eventually went out to the Holiday Inn Express. The man that owned that, that Day's End, he owned 
Days Inn, Hampton Inn, Holiday Inn Express, and a hotel out on the, uh, in Inglewood. He was a self-made man. He had made a lot of money. He, he, I mean, he came from nothing, and he had built an incredible uh, amount of wealth. And uh, Terry Jackson had introduced me to him, and Terry Jackson witnessed to him and worked with him a lot, and I witnessed to him and worked to him a lot. And you know what? I could never, we could never get through to him that God had given him all of that. It was all his. I don't know, I don't know where John is now. I, I don't know if, if he's still with us or, uh, or if he has gone into eternity. But that money was an obstacle for him to get to heaven. Don't let it be for you. You see, we've all sinned. We're all covetous. We're all greedy. We all want more than we have. We're never content. We have a sin problem. But Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again. The creator of the universe came into this world to take care of something we could never pay for. Never enough money, never enough gifts. He took care of it. By calling on Him, our sins are forgiven and we're given an eternal life. We're given an eternal purpose, eternal significance. If you're here and you've never called on Christ as your Savior, today will be the day. If you're here this morning and, and, and you're a little out of balance on, on your money and and its position in your life. Remember this. Tertullian said this, nothing that is God's is obtainable by money. Evaluate where you are. Get a good perspective of your money. Use it wisely. Invest it in something that's worth investing in. Don't let it ruin you and rule you. vanity and vexation of spirit. Let's pray. Father, uh, you know it's hard for me to preach about money. I know that it's not a popular thing. I know that as preachers we get accused of that's all we're interested in. Father, uh, you know the heart. You know my heart. And preaching these messages is to open your word for all you've said about money. Thank you that you've given us so much that we're able to, to prosper and to live so well. Lord, help it not to dominate our heart. Though. Help us to evaluate our lives. And Lord, may we put you first. And thank you, Father for all that you're doing in their lives. I pray, Father, for this one here this morning that doesn't know you as Christ, that they will come and allow us to open your word and, Lord, that they will know for sure that heaven will be their home. Lord, for others, many things may be going on. Father, whatever the needs are, ask that you meet. I pray that we'll be obedient to your calling, your convicting, Lord, that we will come to you. Father, uh, thank you for these wonderful people here this morning. For their generosity, Lord, as we see piles and piles of things coming in to help people. Thank you.
speak for them and their generosity. Lord, uh, May has just been preaching to the choir. It seems that so many already have such a good handle on possessions and wealth. I thank you for these folks. I ask, Lord, that you continue to bless. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. We sing at the time. Have a time of invitation. Just as I.